Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. Today, Dairy mourns a hero. Frank Dunning, our beloved butcher, was attacked by a stranger on Halloween night. While we're still receiving conflicting reports about the circumstances themselves, what we do know is that our hearts go out to those most affected. Please, keep Doris and the Dunning children in your thoughts. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hey, constant readers. And today we are returning to our Patreon selection series with our Patreon selection from Jason Keene, 112263, with CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Thanks, Josh. Quick recap of what we've covered so far. We have our main guy, Jake Epping, who has been roped into traveling in the past by Al's Diner. Al Templeton. <laughs> by, by the sentient diner, yeah. yes. Oh, man. That'd be really cool. <laughs> I, anyway. I think it's dropping the clues. <laughs> <laughs> and Jake goes back in time. We find out a couple rules about the rabbit hole, which is no matter how long you spend in 1958, when you come back, only two minutes have passed. Additionally, you always go back to the same day and time. It's September, I think, 5th or something in 1958 at like 11 o'clock. And... Jake went back in time and checked things out, got some root beer, and then... Crippled a girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Basically. Well, according to Al. He didn't know Al. he was doing right, it. Yeah, he didn't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. According to... I love that take. How do we know that Al's telling the truth about anything? <laughs> <laughs> And Jake has a brilliant idea that there's a way better way to test out this theory of change one thing, make things better, not worse. And it has to do, of course, with Harry's theme that so moved him. And so we come to part two with Jake entering the rabbit hole. And when I saw that the title of part two was The Janitor's Father... And what we were reading through, I got really, really excited because I remember what a crazy cliffhanger (laughs) (laughs) the end of this part is. We are going to be in Derry, Maine, you guys. We're going back until the very end of our episode today. Now, Jake's second entry into 1958 is not as smooth. As he he comes out and he is ducking under the chain that surrounds the property, he slams right into the yellow card man who is... The orange card man. <laughs> Spoilers! Oh, um, <laughs> like for five, I, for five seconds. seconds. <laughs> yeah. Ben, I'm not that flexible. Oh, okay. okay, my bad. <laughs> the <clears throat> yellow card man, as we currently know him... <laughs> Something that Jake doesn't quite catch because things are just not not as chill as they were before. And Jake has a very surprised and kind of reasonable reaction to this, I think. <laughs> that he's just like, oh, what the fuck? Oh, right. You're here. He like and then shoves he sa- him away on accident. Well, and then he, sa- he says... He says the same words, but he says it in like a different order. The, his very first thing, he's like, you're not supposed to be here really direct in his face. And he's like, ah, fuck off. <laughs> well, and he the first time he had asked, who the fuck are you? And this time uh-huh. he asks, who the fuck are you? And Jake notices that the inflection is different. Yeah. Which Does that come through to you guys like reading it? Because in the audiobook, obviously, it's very, very clear the inflection is different. Yeah, it's uh, I believe it's all it, caps. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
Jake introduces himself and yells that, and the guy yells that he's not supposed to be there. He starts telling him, like, go back where you came from. And Jake's patience is running out and he starts to think about his recovering alcoholic ex-wife. There we go, Ben. We got a, oh, yeah. a reference to it the It is going to be important, <laughs> I swear. <laughs> and that's it. And <laughs> as he turns to leave, the yellow card man asks his usual question about giving him some money. And Jake holds out the 50 cent piece. And as he snatches it, he asks him again who he is and what he's doing here. And Jake's like, hey, man, why don't you try AA? And I love that he's like, why don't you fuck off? (laughs) (laughs) And as he leaves him to it, Ben, would you like to say the surprise? Ah, yeah. That's (laughs) what could I? It's weird that I did for a second be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) The, The yellow card that has been in his hat brim the first time is now orange which thoughts that's it okay i think i have something Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's right in fact i'm pretty sure it's right because there are no answers (laughs) you don't know if you're right but But i don't know but i'm pretty sure i'm gonna speak with so much confidence yeah so the reason it goes from yellow to orange is obviously this it has something to do with the effect the rabbit hole is having on him. And it was yellow the first time Jake went through, but the reason it's orange now is because it turned yellow because of Al. It was some other color before then. Jake being a new person, that ripple effect has now just happened for the first time, has deteriorated the rabbit hole and the yellow card man. So this next time, the damage has been done because a new person who's not supposed to exist there came through. Have you not read this? I have. Did we? Okay. Never mind. <laughs> I know. We, we can't really say anything yeah, I have no, more about I have it. No response I, to that. I, I like that theory, though. Okay. <laughs> we don't have to spend a lot of time in Libsyn. Jeez. In, I, I switch those around all the time. <laughs> in Libsyn. Libsyn Falls. <laughs> We're doing great. It's going to wow. be a good episode. Uh, just enough for us to understand that when you change something in the past, while that does kind of alter the way things play out a little bit for Jake. He notices that like the conversation, for example, that he has when he's drinking his root beer goes back. Like it finds mm-hmm. its original track somehow. Everyone has their go-to conversation bits when they work mm-hmm. in a retail sort of <laughs> work. <laughs> and Jake doesn't get into Kinnebec quite the same time because of his longer encounter with the now orange card man. And he's also really flustered. So he goes up to the counter without his magazine and that changes their exchange a little bit, which is just interesting. And of course, the rest of it plays out the way it does. Another variation, Jake is freaked out and his body. I love when he's like, you know, when things are happening and you're really nervous, like in books and movies, it's always pretty chill. But your body is like everything inside of me must leave right now. <laughs> and I love that. And that takes him to another location. Yeah, to the uh, the first time through, we heard that uh, the the son, I forget the... Frank Jr. Yeah, Frank Jr. was like, yeah, he's got the, the car. Titus. Yeah, and so we know that this mechanic Titus is right around the block. And turns out that's the nearest public restroom. And it also turns out there's a pretty nice looking car there. Mm, Yeah. Some like classic cars to Jake, Mm. which would sell for thousands of dollars in 2011. And they're priced at less than 100, 100, 300. Yeah. Yeah, It's so good. I would be trying to drive that fucker back through the rabbit hole, right? (laughs) Right? Just demolish Al's diner (laughs) as you pilot Christine through the ramp. Worth it. (laughs) 
now it's errand montage time. <laughs> there, there's a good amount of that in this part. Mm-hmm. Do one of you want to talk about it? Or do you want me to just power blast uh, Well, um, you know, he he gets, uh, gets a haircut and reads about sex slaves. <laughs> which I thought was an, an interesting thing in, in so the weird. in the barber shop. Mm-hmm. Um, he realizes he accidentally brought a Nokia, which is a bit of a problem. <laughs> I would, I would go throw it back through the rabbit hole. Yeah, this is really like <laughs> glanced over. Yeah, it is. He he talks about. He's like, oh, this is like this is a big deal. No one can find. I don't think he really gets to how he he mentions that like, oh, if someone found it, you know. J. Edgar Hoover's boys might show up and ask <laughs> some questions. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't think his solution is the solution that he it thinks it is. It didn't ease my anxiety no. in At any all. way, shape, or form. He goes and he just buries it. He chucks it in the some nearby pond yeah. that night when he's staying at the yeah. hotel, which I would, I would have smashed it to unrecognizable pieces and I would have buried it as deep into the earth as I could get it. No, actually, I would have just thrown it back through the rabbit hole. I'd been like, hey, Al, you still there? Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. It's a Nokia. It'll still work. <laughs> <sighs> now, I think, uh, yeah, I think smashing it to bits and like putting it through a wood chipper is the, is the move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jake buys a suitcase, some clothes, all that good stuff. And he goes to a payphone to call for a cab so I he can get a room. fucking love it. I thought it was so stupid for a second. But yeah? when, so what he does is he puts a dime into this payphone. And it doesn't work because it's a dime that is not the same size as the dimes of the 50s. <laughs> and he has this fucking meltdown about what would have happened if that dime had gotten stuck. And at first I was like, all right, you're being ridiculous. And then it goes on for like five pages. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really fucking bad. <laughs> Jake, yeah, Jake handles all of this a little much better than I. See, I would have been done. I'd been like, Al, I fucked up. I took my phone and a dime. I can't do this. It really doesn't make sense that he doesn't walk out and be like, oh, I forgot these, puts them on the counter, and then goes back in. Right. Like, there's no reason that he's been there 10 minutes. He didn't change anything that he has to do again. Let's not think about it. Oh, you know what? If you're going to go for a quick reset, you make a Molotov cocktail. You burn down some buildings, make it back up the rabbit hole. You see what that effect did. Then you at least have some data. That's wild. Huh. And a- I can't disagree with you. <laughs> I feel like burning down buildings would have... I feel like that could butterfly in a way that would make it so Al's place wouldn't exist. That's a good point. You're and right. And then you just burn down a city and are stuck in the past. Yeah, you don't want to set fire to something that close. Yeah, don't shit where you eat. You're right. <laughs> You're exactly right. While waiting for his cab, Jake walks around to the car lot and he encounters what I can only imagine is going to be a future sexy dairy fight night character. <laughs> a red... 54 convertible, a Sunliner, and he and Titus have a little back and forth about it, and Titus is like, hey man, better get this while you can, because it might not be here tomorrow, a lot of people interested in it. What did you guys think of this throwback exchange? <laughs> the the amount of quaint dickering in this book. <laughs> quaint the, dickering. The one-sidedness of like the, the guy selling the car being like, oh, I'm driving a hard 
line because like, he comes back the next day. He's like, I talked to my wife. I know I, <laughs> yeah. I know I said I could give you a cheat, but I gotta. And Jake's just like, you're selling me a classic car for like 300 bucks. Uh, he's very casual yeah. about it. He's like, okay. Yeah. And then he gives him cash out of pocket. To bring the price down a little bit. And he throws in a seven day tag and he's off on his way. Jake is in his dream car. He's feeling pretty good. And because... uh, So this is the last time Jake is going to feel good again, I think. Forever. (laughs) Forever. Because as soon as he gets to Derry, he can feel the wrongness of it. This, from here on out, like is always what, for some reason, stuck out to me about Derry even more than it, even though it has a ton about how wrong Derry is. Maybe it's just because when we're when we're in it, we are with the characters who live there and seeing that wrongness again, but through the eyes of a stranger, someone who mm-hmm. in theory is not biased. Mm-hmm. It was really impactful. What did you guys think of his impressions? I have really mixed feelings about all of the Derry stuff. Really? Yes. I love the idea because I talked about last episode how much it annoyed me that King views the 50s through this like (laughs) perfect rose-colored glasses. Everything was so great. Oh, maybe it stunk a little because of the mill, but everything else, everyone was always nice forever. (laughs) And I like the idea of dairy like we know with our, you know, context of what mm-hmm. dairy is like. I like dairy being this representation of how bad just small town America could be yeah. in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Like I I I really thought it was interesting using it as like a yeah, not everything was perfect, not everything was happy days, right? <laughs> yeah. But as this section goes on, it's it's the part that our, I think our listeners are going to yell at me for not liking <laughs> because it is the most fan servicey moment, mm-hmm. obviously. We'll yeah. get to the it. The cameo. That part ruined it all for me. Really? Because that part made it, oh no, I don't think this is about showing the dark underbelly of the 50s. I think this is King just saying, hey, remember, this is Derry. It's all evil because of the clown that exists in it. I'm going to pause you because since I've read this 800 times, (laughs) I remember, I think you might be more pleased with that comparison later. Okay, cool. Yeah. Because I do know that when he goes, he eventually makes it to Dallas. Yeah. And I don't remember any of that. So if it continues that theme, then... Forget everything I just said. <laughs> it's just through this part. Yeah. And the, the cameo made it a little more like, nah, Derry's just evil because it's Derry. See, I wonder if that's partially intentional of we're getting some very bad stuff. Yeah, and if it as goes reader, on to being him in Dallas yeah. and being like, oh no, this place reminds me of Derry a lot. <laughs> that's really cool. That actually yeah. I, I take, and CM's giving me <laughs> a look like My she has just is won an argument in advance. <laughs> yeah. Future me Okay, pleased. cool. Okay, well that makes me happy then. Good, yeah. Never mind. No, that's okay. Okay, so as I was mentioning, he feels the wrongness of it and he passes some roadside stands. <laughs> <laughs> I 
if you want to tell. Okay, I, go for it. I, I just love that these two sentences are like back to back of like, man, I just got into dairy. This place feels fucking weird. Oh, Bowers Roadside Produce. And like just yeah. that that's the first impression. And I love it. Oh, I and love then like that next cameo. is Keens. Well, like and, all of the places that suck. Well, and the dog chases him and some yeah. scrawny woman's like beating the dog as it's mm. chasing his car. It's we just we've got those dairy staples. And if listeners you don't know what we're talking about, why haven't you read it? Or listened to <laughs> our episode? Not a it. single person <laughs> listening to this right now. <laughs> I I refuse to believe that that is possible. <laughs> he also notices, and this is just a, a Jake thing that I kind of like in my head as I'm reading this or listening to it, I frequently give him shit about stuff like this. He buys just this really outrageous standout car, and he's supposed to be inconspicuous mm-hmm. in the late 50s. And this is where he notices that the Sunliner is very much a colorful, bright, unwelcome thing in Derry. And Jake hates this place instantly. So he parks on Canal Street (laughs) in front of Keen's Drugs and makes his way to Dairy Dress in Every Day to have an encounter with a guy who really sets the tone for what Dairyites are going to be like. If you ask me to pick which adult from the uh, child side of the It story, Mm -hmm. that would be just the perfect representative for Dairy. (laughs) I feel like Mr. Keen is the right choice. Dude (laughs) fucking sucks. What about the the guy at the dress barn when he's getting his hat and it's like this this weird man who has a limp kind of powdery moist handshake? <laughs> I forgot all about that. I just I, the only thing I remember about his hat is him wearing it and being like, oh, "How do I wear this right?" And the guy <laughs> yeah has to fix it for him. <laughs> Jake Jake stands out, and yeah, I don't think we mentioned this. He's like six four or something, so he stands yeah, he's out. A big dude, no matter what. I like the small details of things like uh, evening comes early in Derry is something that he he feels and he can see all the eyes on him. We've got uh, this is like our first instance of no suspenders who he's mm-hmm. referred to as Bill, mm-hmm. but we call him no suspenders for pretty much this whole reading. Mm-hmm. And you just you get all of the hospitality you could want for or for Derry. This is so cringy, like from the moment he arrives, the first person he interact he interacts with and then everybody after that he's he has like this line about and it feels so awkward it's like oh hey you know um i'm here doing a real estate business wink wink but i'm also trying to find an old army buddy of mine whose first name i don't know <laughs> yeah. but his last name is dunning can you help me out it's so obvious yeah. <laughs> that he's something's not right with him he didn't do this is where we find out he didn't do any research right. before he left. Again, go back. Take yes, your at some point not, he even thinks long. about it. Like yeah. before he leaves Lib uh, I did it. <laughs> Lisbon Falls, he thinks he's like, Oh, research would have been great. Just go back. Just go back, spend an hour doing some research. I'm sure Al has a laptop. Yeah. In the office <laughs> at the diner. I have something interesting I want to point out to you yeah. guys that I saw online a theory about uh, the version of dairy we get in 112263 being not the same dairy we get in it. Okay. Because one of the big things that has happened in town is they've been talking about the body of Patrick Hockstetter was recently discovered. Mm-hmm. And I haven't verified this, and I don't know if either of you will remember it, but somebody online claimed that in the book, 
Patrick Hockstetter's body is never found. He goes missing and is never seen again. Do we know it's never found from the flash forward? That's what I, I, I hmm. just said I didn't do research. <laughs> okay, Jake. I, I, if I had Google, I would do it. We could pause <laughs> this episode and take two minutes. Yeah, I, I do not remember. <laughs> I don't know. You son of a bitch. I almost didn't catch it. I am more apt to think it's just Stephen King wrote these books 30 years apart. I mean, there's also and, uh, It's well, just a fuck up. With our talk of time travel last episode, it could but be different time. Th- I don't know. There's, yeah. <laughs> there, we put forth a lot of uh, <laughs> theories on this show because that's what King fans like to do. True. But also, I usually side with like Roger Ebert's view of movies and you can't just make stuff up out of a whole cloth. <laughs> you have to give, you have to use what the books give you. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Josh, as you mentioned, we meet no suspenders who we will eventually come to know who he is. But for now, that's who he is. We're going to run into him a few more times. It's a working class guy with a, a group of guys are standing outside the sleepy silver dollar, which is a bar and Jake's being like, Rolling up in his bright red car with his clothes that aren't working men's clothes, asking questions he shouldn't be asking. And they're very rude. (laughs) Pretty unfriendly. (laughs) But No Suspenders is informative because he's like, (laughs) I love, he's like, phone book. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And good luck with that because they're like a hundred. And then he tells him, essentially, take your fancy car and clothes and go up to a bar where you're not going to get your ass kicked just for existing. And Jake's like... Thanks, man. You're a real (laughs) sweet dude. And he's like, you don't know anything. And then walks back inside. And I mentioned that because he's really, he's correct. Jake, a stranger from the future who should in theory know all the things, just knows nothing. (laughs) It's, sorry, I, I just keep, it's interesting because like he's talking about what a innocent naive time this is and he is the most innocent and naive <laughs> thing in this time. Well, there's a bit of it that still has to feel pretend. Like mm-hmm. like what yeah. I, like I this doesn't actually matter because it's going to get reset again anyway a little bit. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're it's life or death here, bud. You're in dairy. <laughs> get yeah. it together. I it's, I don't think he realizes that until the very end, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Jake checks into the dairy townhouse and decides to take no suspenders advice and look in the phone book. And he does find a hundred of Dunnings. And he comforts himself with the knowledge that it's not going to be too hard to find the family because he knows all the kids' names. And all of us having read it before this probably shared an internal groan like, yeah, man, go through dairy talking to kids. That would be <laughs> great. Yeah, he learns pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is it that tells him? Uh, that- the hotel restaurant, uh, Fred Toomey. Yeah. 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 Uh, the bartender there, he's so he's not originally from Derry, so he's friendly and is telling him stuff. And he's like, Hey, you know, there are these child murders, they found a kid dead. You know, as we said, Patrick Hockstetter talked about George Dunbro, mentions, you know, the mm-hmm. first kid to die. And it's cool though, because it seems like all that has, has stopped, and whoever was dressing like a clown must have left town or died or something happened and the clown wasn't to blame for everything because there's the little cochran boy and jake's like i'd forgotten all about i know and jake i think this is the first instance of jake having the sense that the past and present sort of there's like this connection and things kind of mirror each other in a way the past isn't just obdurate it's other things 
Because, as we know, he was killed with a hammer by his father. So it feels like fate to Jake, not just coincidence. And he finishes the tour of Derry with speculation that the older Cochrane boy who is missing, Eddie, must have gotten the hammer too. And he warns him to be careful around kids, of course, because people are on edge. And he says something horribly gross when Jake is like, well, if I'm not dressed like a a clown, I can talk to kids, right? And he's like... That's the thing about wearing a clown suit. Nobody has any idea what you look like inside. Inside? Like, you mean what you look like? Why do you say it like that? Why do you say inside? (laughs) Yeah, that is an off-putting way to refer to being inside a costume. So as Jake makes his way back up to his room, he has this terrifying thought. What if he changes things just enough that Harry dies too? No one with modern day anxiety like we all have from our first world problems could tolerate this kind of uncertainty, I feel like. (laughs) We end this section with another bit of foreshadowing and Jake thinks it's not going to happen. As Hillary Clinton said in 2008, I'm in it to win it. But of course she had lost. Right? Oh my God. It's so bad. It's, <laughs> he's telling us. He's like, idiots. Here's how this book is going to end. Oh, Fools. yeah. <laughs> I love it. You're abs- I remember you mentioning this that it's just yeah. throughout the book, just laden. Everything, you, everything nothing is Nothing is going to work. <sighs> yep. So we're at the next morning, and Jake's like, oh, libraries. That's how I can get information. <laughs> I really was not sure. How to expect the when I the first time I read this, the obdurate past. Mm-hmm. We know that things are going to happen as we heard from Al's story. But the census records bit is really next level. Take us through that. So the big difference between Al's version and what happens to Jake is that Al's version, everything happened to Al as he tried changing it. Mm-hmm. The difference with Jake is that when he arrives, the census records aren't at the library. Somebody a while ago decided to move them into the basement of City Hall, which has in turn flooded, destroying all those records. So in an uncertain time between Jake coming back, (laughs) this force had moved to make these records unattainable. Because time is an ocean. I don't think, because I think the flooding has to do with a flood that the happened, flood. Right. The, the but that flood. was that happened before Jake because that came was when back. George, yeah, yeah. I assume. I mean, you would so think. I don't think. I think that was just something. That, I don't think that is obdurate. It's the the reason. The reason it feels obdurate is that even the librarian is like, yeah, there's literally no reason anybody can think of that they would have been taken down there. And that's the part that sticks out to me. It it goes to my, like I said, time is an ocean. It goes to my thoughts about time as we experience it as linear, but it's not. So I feel like whatever force could be resisting Jake isn't like, isn't playing by the same rules as Jake is of having to operate on a linear path of time. But I'm stupid, so I could be <laughs> wrong. <laughs> it's almost like time travel is nonsense and you can just make it up. Fair. <laughs> It's real, man. (laughs) I fucking love time travel. So this is, like you said, he's sensing that thing working against him that Al was talking about. And then he finds himself near the Barrens and he hears music in the distance. Ben, would you like to talk about this? (laughs) Since you have feelings about it. This is... I... (laughs) When when it first happened... Well, first of all, the second he's like, oh, it's like swing music he recognizes it and and it being near the barons of course my first thought is like oh it's gonna be something evil it's gonna be you know 
the spirit of Pennywise or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's going to see something creepy. And no, it's two kids dancing. And I'm like, oh, of course this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I, I forgot about this, but of, the, of course this had to happen. And at first I'm like, sure, why not? He sees a redheaded girl and a kid in glasses doing a very slow Lindy hop. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's neat. A cameo. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Yeah. And then it just keeps going. And the reason this scene bugs me as much as it does is, like I said, I like the idea of Derry being this, oh, it's this evil place. And if you've read it, you get the, like, it has that added little context behind mm-hmm. it yeah but it works without it otherwise because if you haven't read it and you just know oh dairy is this really spooky little bad place full of shitty people it it works mm-hmm. still this scene if you have not read it has to be gibberish like you and i felt about holly some of the holly stuff in mr mercedes no, in the outsider. outsider. Yeah. And yeah. Josh having already been familiar with Holly. Except worse, because Richie Tozier's there. <laughs> and I love listen. I I have just as big a soft spot for Richie as anyone. But like if you didn't have the soft spot for that character because you read it, you would be like this is the most Stephen King ass character of all time. <laughs> yeah. It is just this annoying kid shouting catchphrases that you don't understand. It, it, it just, it bugged me. Okay. I was like, this is, it's masturbatory. <laughs> it is, it's gratuitous. Yes. It is so gratuitous and it's fine. It's like, yeah. you, you get through it and it's, other, and also, okay, no, this this bugged me too, <laughs> okay. because it also doesn't make any sense that our main character would do any of this. Like he's it's going he's going off a feeling. I think is yeah, supposed to be what we're we're supposed to yeah. know that these are the characters from it and be like so that oh, feeling makes they sense. have this yeah. this connection to each other because they're both the good guys in a Stephen well, King book and they, they both have he recognize they recognize each other as you have some weird otherworldly something the other about mess. you exactly yeah. mm-hmm. to where they, they they ask him about the turtle and he's like I have no idea what you're talking about yeah but none of that works if you're not a huge dorcas like us <laughs> right i think it's just something you said earlier Nobody listening to us right now talk about this hasn't read it. And I I mean, the uh, who hasn't seen the movie, at least even when this was written, the new ones hadn't even come out. But like the Tim Curry, it is such a staple for so many people. I will accept that I'm being a snob. Uh, (laughs) It's that you're curmudgeoning. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I get both your points. It's funny because in The Outsider, it irritated me and it didn't work for me. But now that I'm on the other side of that, I'm like, well, Ben, it's fine. <laughs> so I'm just going to embrace my hypocrisy and say it's fine. But also, <laughs> The Outsider, fr- from Mr. Mercedes and the Bill Hodges trilogy to The Outsider, is not as big of a weird tonal shift. Like, mm-hmm. those all exist in the same universe. Mm-hmm. 
those stories all kind of make sense together. And I just don't buy it, this book being connected to the world of it. The world of it seems so a much more. Yeah. I get that. So much more yeah. of a supernatural Seems like a different story. level of the tower well, than exactly. this one. To be fair, this didn't happen in the timeline of that book. It's been reset. So this interaction doesn't happen in it because this happens at a different time and is is reset. Yeah, but I mean, they still exist in the same yeah, I mean, they universe. Still work. Yeah, I see what you mean. I'm yeah. just... I, I don't know. It, I, it doesn't entirely work for me is yeah, all I'm that's saying. Funny. What I did like out of it is, you know, I, I love a good cameo, sure. I liked the attention to, now that it's over, the grown-ups seem to notice. That that being the, because mm-hmm. we often wonder what is, when it's not during a cycle, what is dairy like? Yeah. And it's interesting to see that part of it of after it's over and Bev saying like, it's over. They just don't, not everybody knows it yet. Well, yeah, because Pennywise had an influence over all of dairy and all of the adults. So it does right. kind of answer that question. The other thing I like about it that, Ben, I feel like you probably is the part that you liked was the parallels. They're practicing. You mentioned it's Glenn Miller in the mood, which is the song that he and his ex-wife dance to. Like they're, they would do these dance competitions and it was sort of this informative time in their relationship mm-hmm. when things were good. And I think that too helps Jake feel connected to Bev and Richie. Because it feels right. It mm-hmm. feels he feels that connection. And it's important to because he has to talk to someone about kids. Might as well be kids. Right? So <laughs> they he earns their trust by being different. What I really love about how he gets them to side with him is essentially that he puts it all out on the table of Look, things have been bad. You know these kids. What if I told you for sure, unless I know where to find them, they won't make it to November? And both of them are like, they buy it immediately after everything, after living in dairy. You know what hurt me, though? Hmm. That it's not her fault. I'm not blaming her. Bev defends Harry's dad because she's got daddy issues. She's got 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 a a certain type of man. So now Jake has information and he stops at the service station to get a map of the town. Also, I just this is not important, but I really also didn't need one more adult man talking about how attractive young Beverly is. Because that that was a bit. Josh, he's hot. God damn it. (laughs) Yeah. Just like a weird. Yeah. King always talks about how hot. How about the moment where he says that they're dancing not like friends, but like lovers? (laughs) They can't, but they're kids, so they can't be. can't be. Gross. Okay, I was going to mention this, but I decided not to, but now you guys have. Do you think this was King's middle finger to people giving him shit about writing a a sewer teen sex orgy? I think so, probably. Sort of like, fuck you guys, doubling down. (laughs) Here it is again. Okay. Here it is again. (laughs) Okay, so Jake stops at the service station, gets a map of the town, finds the street that the Dunnings live on, Cossett Street, and it is a 15-minute walk from where he is now, so he's going to go ahead and take that walk. Would one of you like to talk about when he sees the family? He makes his way up the street, and he sees a woman next to her little boy with an air rifle. An air rifle that in a couple weeks' time he will use to try to scare his dad away from killing everyone. And he sees a little red-headed girl yeah. riding a trike and singing. And this does something to him. It makes them real to him. And he's like, I have to save them. Like, mm-hmm. I have no choice. So we do kind of a time jump here in Chapter 7. We jump seven weeks. 
don't mm. know if that was intentional. We get a few paragraphs of Jake thinking about how scared and awful he felt the whole time he was in Derry. So terrible that he'd have fled if it weren't for the fact that the Dunnings in this time were real to him now. And we end this brief section with the remark, In Derry, reality is a thin skin of ice over a deep lake of dark water. I, I really like, I believe this is the section where he talks about the feeling of the past squeezing mm. him. Yeah. That, that he, he, it's not... <laughs> The feeling that if he decided to flee, it would let him go. But the longer he stays, he feels like pressed in on all sides. Mm -hmm. It's a very cool, it is cool. bit of writing. So we're going to jump back to his second day in Derry. He's going to get a look at Frank Dunning at Center Street Market. What's Frank like, guys? Hot. <laughs> he's hot. He's muscly. He's charming. All the ladies want to fuck him. Pretty Basically, much. Yeah. yeah. I imagine Steve Martin as the dentist. Yeah, yes. uh, little, little shop, shop of horrors. horrors. Yeah. Oh, oh, Frank is hot. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm bored, Bev. <laughs> <laughs> he's also the head butcher, so he knows how to wield a weapon, and he's strong. Which yeah, sucks. The, he he sees him and he's like, oh yeah, he looks like a just a fine guy. His uh, coat's stained in blood, <laughs> but he's a butcher, and it's yeah. a neat yeah. It's neat. I like it. <laughs> when Frank's shift ends, Jake follows him onto the city bus and his rooming house, so he knows where he lives now. And the following week, Jake rents an apartment and settles into Derry, insofar as one could settle into Derry if they weren't born <laughs> there. And now that he's settled and he knows where everyone is, he can start to think about his options, of which he determines he has five. This he bit is one. so funny to <laughs> me. He has one option. It's, this bit is because he he mentions a few times throughout this section that like he's a guy who needs to put his thoughts down on paper. <laughs> so he sits down in his apartment, pulls out a paper and stares at it for a while. <laughs> and he's like I couldn't couldn't think of anything, which made me think that he was trying to write a story. <laughs> I thought he yeah, was like at first, yeah. well, since I have some time to kill, I'm going <laughs> to start uh my novel. <laughs> But no, he he sits and finally writes down his options, which are call the police, call the butcher, mm -hmm. and threaten him, mm -hmm. frame him for a different crime, incapacitate him, or kill him. And he writes these down and then immediately burns the paper and then just sits there and thinks about it. <laughs> it's like you couldn't you couldn't keep those five things. <laughs> In just your in your head, you had to write those down. It's interesting. He's not that a counting he, man, Ben. <laughs> he lands on killing not just because they're real to him now and he wants to save them, but because it's the only sure way to answer the question about how does this change, you know, the the well, the future, his present. Mm -hmm. I, I do like this bit, mm -hmm. like how he walks through. Yeah, because that's why he's here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's just it lets us know the weight of this in a way that like duh but yet i don't know you you keep realizing wow this is heavier than i even thought even though it's a heavy thing i was surprised when he for a moment considers just letting it happen and taking notes yeah. essentially mm -hmm. so he can do it next time like it defeats the entire purpose of your trip but which and is why he doesn't do it and but. i like his two arguments against that because he's like man if i do that i have to make an extra trip like mm -hmm. two more instead of one because i'll have to come back anyway and do it all over again when i you know come back to take care of the other thing and he wonders if like 
there is there an effect on them that yeah. they're dying multiple times? Is that going to do something to them on some level? Which is a really interesting thing that we will never know. <laughs> that afternoon, Jake buys a gun. Very easy. For 10 bucks. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Thank God the world isn't like that anymore, right? <laughs> it's really hard to buy a gun. Yeah. And as he leaves, he sees no suspenders. And from that point on, he has a feeling that no suspenders is watching him. And he starts to be on the lookout for him whenever he's out. He spends a few days following Frank around because Halloween is still six weeks away. And he follows him to a restaurant, The Lamplighter. Where he proceeds to be the most charming fucking person in the room, like he does mm-hmm. every time he walks into a room. Goddamn Frank Dunning. <laughs> we meet another character here, Chaz Fratty. I sure liked Chaz at first, and now I'm not sure how I feel about him. I like him. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I, I like this interaction, at least. I, I do think he is a decent guy. It's because it's not like he was doing Bill's bidding because he had any ill will just bill just was like hey i remember that time i saved your life spoiler (laughs) alert uh or at least your arms or whatever can you just talk to this guy like that's that's it there's no malevolent he's not of dairy true should we say what happens in this conversation yeah yeah this guy chaz comes up and he's super friendly and instantly jake's like oh thank god there are he's nice so desperate for a friendly face he doesn't think anything of it yeah and they have a long talk about how dunning is a real piece of shit mm-hmm. uh he's super influential he's a an upstanding member of society in dairy he basically owns the butcher don't, don't they go mention yeah, he, that he owns like at least 50 percent of the store now yeah he's donates to charities yeah it, it goes to his point earlier when he was going over his options he said he couldn't call the cops because it's going to be a stranger's word against someone who is an established member a of respected the yeah but he's also an asshole who has a temper and when he drinks he uses his fists and he had a wife who ran out on him disappeared and he ended up getting a, a divorce uh I took their infant with her and so he he divorced her in absentia and married this new girl and they have a bunch of kids and they recently got separated because she showed up with bruises or something and he's now living in this townhouse and everyone knows it yeah and jake is like uh oh well you, you sure know a lot about the guy why aren't you over there with him and the guy's like, haha, anti-Semitism. That, that dude <laughs> is, Jake's like, what? That dude's a huge monster. And Jake's like, never heard of it. And <laughs> Jake's an idiot. <laughs> uh, He's just so like the 50s. What? Yeah, I, I'm a straight white man in 2011. I am unaware of racism <laughs> and whatever. <laughs> to be fair, he didn't notice Chaz was Jewish. <laughs> Chaz had to tell him. <laughs> yeah. He had to explicitly just like, un- oh, you didn't notice? <laughs> kind of a naive dingus. And uh, Chaz he is, definitely Chaz is kind is of a dingus. Chaz is so amused by his dingusness. Yeah. yeah. His ding. <laughs> his mean ding. <laughs> we get some more information about Chaz. Yeah, he owns a shit ton of property, and he owns a pawn shop, and he also happens to own the land the Kitchener Ironworks are Ooh. on. Be a great site for a mall. Yeah, because he's like, hey, man, you're here on real estate business that you can't talk about. It's all hush hush. Well, here's my card, and maybe I can get in on this with you. If I'm not mistaken, 
in 85, there's a mall there. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. I think that's yeah, great. Yeah, we could go back. I yeah. think that's amazing. Yeah. I, I know this is jumping ahead, but when Jake does go to check out the Kitchener Ironworks, <laughs> that works for me. That's yeah. pretty okay. good. That works yeah. for me because he goes and he looks down the pipe that, you know, a certain kid hid from a giant bird in <laughs> and he sees something down he in the darkness and, and feels yeah. like it's calling. Not really. He doesn't hear anything, but he feels like, like in it's, his mind, it's he saying, imagines it. come see, Jake, come see. And he's like, maybe it's another rabbit hole, but I don't think it is. I think it's something worse. And I, that works for me. I like, I like in the that. audiobook when the guy is doing the possible like Pennywise voice, he does a good job. Yeah? Just yeah. putting weird oh, like yeah. inflections in it. It's really cool. So Jake spends the next few days writing down everything that has happened, like jur- logging it in the journal like Al has been doing. Eventually gets a typewriter instead of a notebook because he wants to <laughs> I guess. he goes to Chaz's pawn shop to do that which is just kind of neat nothing really happens there but he settles in getting milk deliveries which are delicious and I did that. <laughs> of all the things better. that he's like going off about oh but the 50s I could totally I could live here you can have your milk delivered I'm like is that really <laughs> well, it's unpasteurized that much of a I mean, like convenience that it's worth no you're talking just... to the f- like food focused person in this group uh, <laughs> yeah man root beer milk meat let's do it give me all of it <laughs> he spends a lot of time reviewing al's notes and reading up about the murders and dairy at the library he doesn't find anything on frank ever getting into trouble and he starts to tail him and he does get a less conspicuous car for that like, finally. <laughs> smart yeah smart and he watches a few family interactions. Do you guys have any anything you want to talk about with these? No, I, I can definitely see the way that this came out of nowhere for everyone around them. The way it says, like, every time Frank picks them up and drops them off, he doesn't try to interact with his wife. He, mm-hmm. he waits. Seems like he's playing by the rules. Yeah, he seems like he's uh, respecting her wishes. And I that's what the town expects. One day, Jake follows Frank to a cemetery where he leaves flowers at the grave of what Jake assumes is Frank's parents. He doesn't confirm this, but marks the location, date, and time in his notebook. And we finish this section thinking that now, Jake is thinking, now I have what I need. Did you, do you guys know, like... Immediately. Yeah. First time reading it, I knew immediately what that was. Say it. That's where he's going to kill him next time. Yeah. Because he stresses that he is completely alone. They are out mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. There's only one human person nearby, and it's somebody at the entrance to the cemetery. So it's, it's the perfect place. So now go back to the rabbit hole, and then come back out and wait for this day and do it. Done. <laughs> <laughs> no, because then that doesn't still doesn't solve the problem of what it, what happens. Yeah, it's the reason he doesn't didn't wait for it to just wait and let him kill them and then go back. Because then he'd have to go back, see what happens, come back. Spend another seven weeks. Yeah. Then kill him. And then go back, see how it changed everything, yeah. come back, do it again. He should have just brained him right there in the cemetery. That's with what I was saying. Hands. No, he's not. Yeah. Jake's not that kind of guy. I know. As we learn later, Jake can barely shoot someone who's trying to kill him. <laughs> We skip some more time again and Jake makes sure that the whole town sees him investigating (laughs) properties. He reflects on how nice Chaz was to him and then he goes on to think that he had no idea a guy named Bill Turkett had put Chaz up to it. And Bill 
is no suspenders. So we get that like right here. We're going to put a pin in it for now. He also talks to Doris under the guise of asking real estate questions and figures out that there's an abandoned rec center he can hide out in when it comes time to stop Frank. Although he ends up finding an abandoned house right behind the Dunnings home. Jake thinks about how simple this is going to be. He's going to distract Frank and then he'll shoot him. And he's even test fired his gun to make sure it works since the past is so obdurate. A thought that haunts him through his plan, just that the past, like every time he goes to do something, he's like, well, I hope this goes the way it should. (laughs) That would be so stressful. Absolutely. My anxiety would be crushing me. Yes. I would take Xanax back with me. (laughs) (laughs) The day has come and we open it with a theater comparison. And I wanted one of you who have experience with this, because I don't really, to talk us through this part. Is this pretty, like, did you feel a connection to Jake when he's describing Pre-show jitters? Yeah. A little bit, yeah. When, When the day you've been in rehearsal, doing all that you can do, and then day of show, every minute until curtain is a thousand years. As uh, the guy who, back when Josh and I did improv together, would have to go out and throw up in the alleyway before almost every show for the first, like, couple months (laughs) that we were doing shows together. Yeah. Hey, Jake does that too, basically. Oh, fuck. Because he wakes up in the middle of the night from a terrifying dream, and I love this so much because when you are that sick... Like, I know that fe- everybody knows that feeling. This, this goes on for so long. <laughs> it really and it does. is so detailed. <laughs> <laughs> He's in a stormy ocean instead of dairy. But considering what happens in dairy, calling it an ocean isn't far off. He wakes up like feeling like he's rocking on these waves and and it's like he thinks his bed is moving for a minute and it's just his the insides of his body churning and he's violently sick. Which leads him to Mr. Keen. I love this this the interaction with Mr. Keen, because like Josh said earlier, he is such a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that Jake actually is so like miserable. He just confronts him because he asks for milk of magnesia or whatever. Or whatever that's yeah. Kaopectate. And he's like, please. And adult diapers. <laughs> g- g- give me Kaopectate and adult diapers. And Mr. Keen is grinning at him and taking like, his time. Yeah, is answering his questions slowly and circuitously mm-hmm. and like obviously delighting in not helping jake just like oh yeah the stomach bug it's been going around that sucks huh and jake is like you can see how miserable i am why are you fucking grinning at me and he just registers on keen's face of like hey you're not supposed to acknowledge that i'm an asshole (laughs) you weren't supposed to notice my grin Mm -hmm. yeah but he he gets this medicine (laughs) downs half the bottle and Puts on his diapers and then heads to stake out the Dunning house. First, barely not shitting himself, running across. I really did like him running across to the bar across the street. Maybe call Keen a bastard after you ask yeah. to use his bathroom <laughs> and he'd let you use it. I don't know. Uh, just instead of calling him a bastard, shit all over the restroom. Okay, thank you. So (laughs) I had the same exact thought. What happens is he has like a moment where he's like, oh no, I'm going to have to unload. And so he's like, after he calls him a bastard, he's like, can I use your bathroom? And he's like, don't have one. Maybe you can go across the street to the sleepy silver dollar. And I thought I would be like, it's your bathroom or your floor. And I would start taking my pants down. (laughs) 
Oh, but I, it's, this is the story of how Jake goes back in time and invents the upper decker. <laughs> <laughs> and we we mentioned the sleepy silver dollar because there's another person inside when he gets in there. And he doesn't notice right away. He runs straight past him because he has shit immediately. And it's while he's sitting on the toilet, that he's like, was that no suspenders out there? Oh, I'm going to say some shit. And he goes out and the dude's gone. And the bartender's like, there's nobody in here. He has to bribe him. Yeah. To get any information. And that's how we get his name. Yep. Bill Turkett. And when he leaves, Mr. Keene is being weird. Yeah. Just staring at him, kind of grinning. That evening at 520, Jake parks his car and all of his possessions and makes his way to the empty house to set up shop. And by set up, I mean eat some payday candy bars. (laughs) And he's still feeling sick, but he seems to be on the mend because it appears that, well... Sometimes at a certain point, the past kind of like you've you've crossed some sort of barrier and it eases up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not to say it's going to stay that way, <laughs> because now we get the swerve. This fucked me up the first time I read it. It's so I was like, oh, my what is happening? It's well, the last thing I expected. Yeah, to it, stop him right now. Yeah. Not, so, Ben, did you it's, anticipate this kind of obdurate interference? It's <laughs> such a weird bit. It doesn't feel natural does that make sense it fits but it feels unnatural the way it must feel for jake like king makes you feel the way jake feels yeah it's it it is an interesting bit because it feels like this only happened because of this weird domino effect of Mm -hmm. things leading up that it feels like this should not be happening but it is in fact later at the towards the end of this one of the last things that bill says to him is i don't know why I did that to you. Yeah. Like I for I as soon like basically as soon as he was gone, he kind of came to his senses and was like, "Oh my god, mm-hmm. it's oh, I love it." Well, let's talk about what's going on because Jake is not alone. Bill pulls a bayonet on him because he's sitting down, not paying attention, and Bill sneaks up on him, puts it to his throat, and is essentially saying, "What are you doing here?" I knew the second you came into town and you asked for Dunning, it was Frank Dunning. And if anybody's going to kill that son of a bitch, it's going to be me. I love that before we know that's his motivation, because mm-hmm. I thought this too. Jake thinks he's trying to protect Dunning. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to kill him. And here's why. Yeah. It turns out uh, Frank allegedly killed his first wife and child because his wife was Bill's sister. And he says, we talked every day. We were best friends. She did not leave and not contact me for 20 years. Mm -hmm. That's impossible. She knew how I felt about her, which is not something a sibling needs to say about their sibling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Every time I listened to her to Reddit, I was like, Bill. (laughs) Like, she's your sister. You don't have to be like, she knew how I felt about her, that you loved her like a sister, please, for the love of God. (laughs) And That's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) But then it's... And you, my first thought was I, what we would all think. Like, yeah, we sh- this, sh- this should be a team up. Let's, mm-hmm. let's fucking do mm-hmm. this. And then he can see that Bill is starting to sweat a little and starting to get oh, queasy. This sucks because Jake is like, okay, I can just let this guy kind of go because I can see where he's heading. And the minute he shits and pukes his guts out, <laughs> I can overtake him because he takes his guns. He's like, I can get my gun back. And he, you know, is a sucker for a good story, aren't we all? So he lets Bill take him through the story about his sister and his nephew. And we find out why Chaz kind of betrayed yeah. Jake because Bill had 
you know, gotten some football players to help him when Frank and his buddies were beating him up in high school. And they kind of became friends after that. It seems like maybe hard to tell. And throughout this telling, Jake keeps reminding of us of how much time is passing. And as as Bill is not excavating everything in his body, he's getting more and more nervous about how this is going to play out. Also, it starts becoming apparent that it is not the stomach bug. See, uh, this is also I I anticipated because after he's told Jake all of this, Jake flat out says what he's here to do. Mm -hmm. He's like, all right, he's going to kill that whole family. If you don't let me stop it, it's going to happen. And I expected an idea about that. (laughs) A dairy idea. That's very much so. And that is fuck him. Full stop. That way, Frank will get arrested. He'll go to Shawshank. He'll, his reputation will be destroyed. In fact, what the best part of it will be the fact that when he sobers up, he might even regret it. And he'll have to live with that forever. It's pretty awful. fucked. It's, it's so, so fucked. But it's, de- it's definitely a dairy idea. So I, of course, had like this argument I would have made to Bill that doesn't matter. But the, it's just how much this scene upset me that I was like arguing with Bill over the audio. <laughs> because I was just saying this to him, Jake. Come on. What was that? What's that? Idea? What's that argument? It's the only thing he's going to regret is actually getting caught, not killing his family, because this isn't the first time that he has killed mm, somebody. And he seems pretty fine with killing his wife and infant child 20 years ago. So I'd have been like, Bill, dude, like he didn't care about your sister and your nephew. He's not going to regret this. He's just probably gonna- not the best thing to say to the guy with the gun. <laughs> Yeah. There we go. That's yeah. and that's why yeah. I'm wrong. <laughs> well, it's I mean, the, the, what Jake uh, Jake obviously doesn't care because what he actually does. I love this. Yeah, uh, it is to purposefully piss him off anyway. Well, so maybe he realizes. You're, yeah, you're right. Okay, I am right. Yeah, I take you it are back. right. Thank you. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, he's he eventually he sits there for a while and then eventually is like, you know what? Fuck you, coward. What a bitch you are (laughs) that you for 20 years, you're going to let him kill his family because you're too much of a bitch to go in there and do it yourself because you had had 20 years to put this guy in the ground. Kill the guy you are highly motivated to kill. You're not going to kill me. He I love the the nail in the coffin for me that gave me the oh shit was the you haven't so much as put a banana peel down and (laughs) And I'm like, oh shit, Jake, you fucking got him. And he's like coming right up to him and he's like, shoot me. Shoot me. Do it right now. Fucking You're not going to. It's good. Jake is pounding his chest. He gets really aggressive. I love it. I think feel like this. I feel like this is a turning point for Jake and we'll get to see a little more of his confidence and his desire to really take action and not be so passive. It's once he starts in his head yelling, even if I fucking die. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. oh, Jake's awesome, them. actually. Oh, and he, the thing, man, he's like, if your sister were here, she would spit on you. Oh. <laughs> so we have a little bit of a scuffle because Bill is having a heart attack <laughs> and he advances on Jake, but he trips over his bayonet and the gun goes off. And Jake feels the spray of stone strike his pants. And Jake does manage to get the gun and Bill slumps to the floor and he's like, please call an ambulance. And Jake reaches for his Nokia. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, sorry, man, you're you're born in the wrong time for that. And Bill's like, huh? And he's like, you're just going to have to wait. I I like that. And I also like when he like 
what is it? He goes to do something with the bayonet and then thinks, no, I'm just going to slash myself open yeah. on it. Which is right, because he trips on everything in the yard on his <laughs> way to the house. Like, the past is trying to literally trip him yeah. the whole way to the back door. The back door is unlocked when he gets to it, and as he opens it, he hears Doris scream, you guys. Oh, I the this part fucked up me up. Because he says, you know, as he's going in the door, he says, what Harry wrote in his paper mm-hmm. was that he heard her say this very specific sentence. What I heard was what she actually said. And just that, that's such a real mm-hmm. thing of like, yeah. of course he wouldn't know the right. exact thing that his mother said in this horrible traumatic, trauma moment yeah, and he has moment. a brain injury yeah, yeah. It, it's that really got me yeah i like that a lot do you guys want to talk about no <laughs> <laughs> uh i was really worried that he was not going to be in time to save doris because before he can even get in the room he hears the first thuds mm-hmm. and so he knows that it's gone down and he runs into the room and he expects to see Frank holding a, a normal hammer. No, he has a 20 pound sledgehammer that he is wielding like a toy. Mm-hmm. And that is horrifying. That- and he, he sees that Doris's arm has been broken. Her shoulder's been dislocated. Ugh. And he is Frank is drunk and crying while he's doing all this. And he yells at Frank. And all that Frank's like, you're trespassing. <laughs> yeah. That's like his right. Like, who the fuck are you? Why are you in my house that I'm murdering everyone in? And so he charges Jake. And Jake pulls the trigger, hits him in the shoulder because he's a terrible fucking shot. I do like that he's like, I, it's not, nothing's going to happen when I pull this trigger. Not a single thing. But yeah, shoots him well, in the, the shoulder. Well, the past doesn't need to jam the gun because Jake can't. <laughs> Sadly, this only injures Frank and he's able to crush Tugga's head. Well, because as Jake is about to fire the next shot, Harry bumps into him Mm -hmm. because he runs past him with his air rifle firing at his dad. Uh, He obliterates Tugga's head. It's It's awful. The audiobook guy reads it as if he's crying, which is weird because it's the only part he does that. And it's such a weird, sudden break. Yes. And yeah, it's like Jesus. one sentence where he... It's, he's like sobbing as he reads it. It's so, bizarre. Yeah. Wow. All right, I have the audiobook. I've been switching back and forth. I need to go back and listen to that yeah. in the It scene. So and Jake fires a third time. Just rips him from cheek to ear Ooh. wide open. And he keeps going. And he fucking keeps going. Yeah, it's... Jake like, has a moment where he's like, he's not human. Yeah, you grazed him... <laughs> You're not going to feel that. Like, that's not going to stop you. In a drunken rage. Yeah. He swings a sledgehammer at Jake's head, and Jake's like, whew, that was close. (laughs) No, he hit him. (laughs) I I dodged it, but my gun still went flying? And (laughs) And my head hurts? (laughs) He screams at Troy to take the rest of the kids and get out and scream for help. And as Troy attempts to leave with Ellen, Bill comes stumbling through the door, knocking them over which it's very slapstick. but And then all of a sudden, Frank is screaming because there is a bayonet poking through his chest from behind. Brutal. It's a good bit because he's got... Harry is behind Jake and Jake is keeping him between them Mm -hmm. and he just keeps 
getting pushed further and further back and he's going to have nowhere else to go. And then suddenly, yeah, that bayonet mm-hmm. through the chest. So fucking awesome. As Frank goes down, Bill gets his one liner. This is for my sister. And everyone is screaming. Doris crawls to Tugga. And it's really upsetting because Jake is like, I don't want her to see this, but mm-hmm. she's going to. And he starts to cry and he tells her, I'll do better next time. That's a promise. It like as I'm describing this, thinking about it, and we're talking about it, I can feel like my heart rate increasing. Yeah. I can oh. feel the anxiety because it's just it's so well written. Mm-hmm. He tells Bill, "Hey man, this is important. I was never here. You don't know my name. You've never seen my car." And Bill agrees that George Amberson doesn't exist. And Jake says, "Your sister would be proud." Bill smiles, closes his eyes, and dies. <laughs> like an idiot, Jake mentions that he's going downstate. I don't know why he told, hey, I'm going to go this exact route and I need to get through there without the police. So don't know the thing that I just told you. Take this information to the grave. (laughs) Jake runs into Harry before he leaves. I really like that. The asks him, who are you? And originally he doesn't give him an answer. And then he turns back and he says, you're good angel. Mm. Then Jake leaves the house, and as he makes his way back to his car, it's a very difficult task because he's covered in blood (laughs) from his head wound, he's been sick for hours before, his adrenaline is wearing off, and he thinks about how a tragedy still happened because Tugga died, but at least he was able to save most of them. It's really touching and sad, and it's such a disappointing thing to happen after all of the buildup, like how he was stopped, like nearly completely stopped. It really affected me the first time I read this. Like the the janitor's father, just this whole section is like, mm-hmm. it's it's an unforgettable book for this section. Which brings me to I think my biggest problem with the book. This is the Frank Dodd situation. Oh, sure. Where this is such an amazing segment, and it is the first quarter of the book <laughs> and then it keeps going and th- this is so riveting it's so this good. could be the whole book <laughs> this could be the book yeah. in fact i would like this book better probably if it becomes jake is like oh yeah I'll, he gets I'll, obsessed and keeps trying yes, to do it perfectly and he keeps going back and al is like you have to say you can save jfk you'll save millions of people why are you obsessed with this one family I think that's so interesting. And the fact that obviously that this comes back, Mm -hmm. but I want this to be the main, (laughs) I get so drawn into this part of the story that when it is not the main drive of the story and it moves on to other stuff, I'm like, this isn't the part (laughs) that I liked. I I guess I get that. For me, I feel like it, it gives, it gives us an AB. Like it gives us something to push back against or compare to, to sort of show the weight of things when something that has to do with millions of lives should be more important. But because of how our brains work and how we're very like tribally oriented, instead, we can care more about one person Mm -hmm. or a small group of people. I'm very excited to read on. I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying like, I think for me, like that's how that's what this part does for me. Uh, I like to be teased, though. We, no, that's we know that. <laughs> no, it's well established. Uh, no, I, it's just I don't remember. I, I remember the gist of the rest of the mm-hmm. book. I remember definitely the next part 
being kind of bored and being less engaged because it moves on from this. Yeah. I love this section <laughs> so much that when it's not this, I kind of checked out. Yeah. So I'm actually very excited to uh, be listening for the podcast and being more uh, listening with a more critical ear than the first time I yeah. went through it. Nice. As Jake is walking to his car, having all of the emotions you feel those with him. It's such a great Stephen King moment. Jake wonders how he's going to come back to what he's going to come back to in 2011. And he drives all through the night back to Lisbon, getting there around midnight. He takes his briefcase. I'm really irritated. He didn't take everything because he's just going to have to buy it all right. over again. Idiot. And he makes Dumbass. his way back under the fence towards the rabbit hole. But there is a problem. I did like this a lot. <laughs> he goes to where he's pretty sure the step is and it's nothing. And then he keeps feeling around and it keeps being nothing mm -hmm. to the point that he he's like, I know this isn't what's happening, but what if I am George Amberson? <laughs> Again, another, another, another faint towards a very different book yeah. that I also would be yeah. very interested in of him mm -hmm. Just continuing to live in the past, being resigned to never go back. Yeah. I think that's also very interesting. <laughs> but then he hears Al's voice from the other side. Hey, don't worry about how my voice knows this second. As he's, did he wait two you. minutes? Did he say it as soon as right. he said <laughs> the thing before? <sighs> yeah. I can't. We can't. I, we, we can't. Don't worry about it. But he, he finds the step and heads back up to 2011. The last thing we get is Jake opening his eyes on Al's haggard face in 2011. Yeah. Oh, man. I fucking love this book. I'm having so much fun. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we will be covering through part three. For Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, I'm Joshua Kahn reminding you. Keep it simple. It's the only sure way home. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to 112263 Part 2. We hope you enjoyed it. A quick update. We are actually covering through Chapter 16 for our next episode. So a little bit past Part 3 if you like to follow along with us. And if you're reading ahead, that's okay. I get it. I do it too. Don't tell Josh and Ben. As always, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio and X at Dairy Public. Talk with us about all kinds of fun stuff on our Discord. The link is in the show notes. You can always email us your thoughts about the books at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our Etsy store for merchandise and our Patreon for bonus episodes and other perks, including discounts on our Etsy store at certain levels. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye. <laughs>